Welcome to the ProcureTech podcast, bringing insight and inspiration into how digital technology is shaping our profession. I'm your host, James Meads, tea drinker, expat, and definitely not your typical consultant. Yes, a very warm welcome to another edition of the ProcureTech podcast. I'm your host, James Meads, and it's great to have you with me on this fine day, or I hope it's fine wherever you're listening to this. It might be raining for all I know, but anyway, the show must go on. In today's episode, I'm really proud to have on the show this company because they're making a lot of waves as a rapidly growing startup based out of Boston in the U.S., And one of the first things that attracted me to who they are and what they actually do is just the huge amount of really, really good, valuable, well-written content that they have on their blog. And indeed, some of the biggest thought leaders and influencers in the industry have actually written a piece on their blog. It's called The Source. I'll link to it in the show notes so as you can maybe check out some of the content there. And actually, not to put myself in that category by any stretch of the the imagination, but I also wrote a piece recently that was featured on there. I'll link to that as well because it segues nicely into the topic that we're going to cover on today's podcast. So my guest today is Kevin Frechette from Fair Market, and we're going to talk all about tailspend, how getting to grips with your tail spend and automating your tail spend can really help you, especially in what we're facing now as being a pretty deep recession, and also about how they've recently pivoted to offer a more wider range of ProcureTech solutions, leveraging AI and machine learning and automation to help drive value throughout the whole procurement process. So Kevin, very warm welcome to the show. Thank you very much, James. Appreciate you having me on. Good to talk to you. So Fair Market were recently named one of the four cool vendors by Gartner, as I mentioned in the introduction. So maybe a good place to start would be what makes a cool vendor? It's something that we didn't know the ins and outs of when we first started. We did know that we wanted to be recognized by Gartner. We wanted to partner with them uh, just because we work with large enterprises and we understand that that's where they turn among some other places to de-risk their purchases, to see what's new in the market and to figure out how they can help out with their transformation or digital, digitalization strategies. So at the core, uh, how Gartner uh, outlines it is that it's vendors that are promising cool new vendors. Uh, in our space, it's within supply chain and procurement. And that these vendors are helping companies transform their operations. And it could be across a multitude of different areas. But essentially, it's ones that can bring innovation to help with a digital roadmap. We've been talking to Gartner now for a couple of years. And what we've been doing is kind of outlining where we are today, how we're helping our customers, uh, more so how are we shaking things up and how are we using data and automation to transform historical or legacy processes to drive to better business outcomes. And then on top of it, where's our roadmap going? How do we make sure that we are executing with the, the phase that we're in right now with our maturity curve? but also have the foresight to understand where does it make sense to go? And not just what are people asking for today, but what are the future needs going to be based off the evolution of the whole procurement industry? They've been awesome kind of back and forth conversations, brainstorm sessions, and we're excited to be recognized as a cool vendor. For us, it's kind of a milestone, but one of hopefully several as we keep growing the company. Thanks for calling it out though, James. 
I, I follow a lot of this, a lot of this stuff, and and I've I've seen your journey of of how you've gone from initially offering sort of tailspin solutions to recently pivoting, and I guess that must have been sort of part of the decision making criteria. And I think there were, there were four of you in total that were recognised, right? So I, I guess, like you say, they're looking for people that are just more innovative and not just offering a a me too product, but with a different looking website and interface and marketing team behind it, because. Uh, in some areas, I mean, yeah, the the space is becoming more and more commoditized, especially if I look at things like fairly mundane spend analysis tools. There are lots of them out there now. So yeah, good to good to see that there are research companies out there that are that are able to pick out the ones that are doing something different. Is your background in the technology space or or were you a procurement practitioner that sort of realized that we as procurement professionals have these problems and then went ahead and created a solution to it? Neither of the above. Um, okay. we, I, I think that like most of the conferences we go to, myself, Tarek, and Victor, uh, we founded it back in early 2017. I think we, we fell into procurement. We kind of backed our way into it. Because my background, it was with a large company as an EMC for a while, and then at a venture-backed company, more of a mid-sized one doing more of the data center space. And when we actually first started Fair Market, it wasn't to address tail spend. It wasn't to automate procurement processes. The original idea was completely different. The original idea was to create like a glass door to help companies see what other organizations paid for the same software. We realized that enterprise purchasing, specifically in IT, was a black box. What's a good discount off list? What's the best time of the year to buy? And companies were paying massively different prices for the same thing. So when we first started the company, we said, let's get all this data together and let's present it to these organizations in a way they could easily digest it and use it to make sure they're getting the most value for their IT purchases. So we went out in the first two or three months, got in front of a lot of executives at larger organizations. We explained the problem we want to solve, asked them if they want to go on the path with us. And collectively, they said, it is a challenge. It is something that we know we, we want to keep focusing on, but we do have IDC, Gartner, Forrester. We have all these large systems like Oracle, SAP, Coupa, and all these strategic people that help out with all of our purchases, not just IT, but across the board, say over a million or over $5 million. But when we kept kind of asking questions, they started to allude to the fact that everything under a million or everything under 500K didn't get the same level of focus. It didn't get the same level of scrutiny from a data perspective. And there really weren't great KPIs around how to manage it. And we kind of pressed a little bit and we asked, how come that's not the case? And it really came back to bandwidth. People had to make decisions on where to spend their time, you know, limited amount of resources in procurement. So ignore it is a bad word, but not optimized uh, or not effectively managed is probably a better way to say it. People just started to open up to us on this idea of tail spend. So we, we kind of took a step back. We looked at the procurement industry as a whole, and we looked at the different players available in the space. And we said, you know, it is interesting where all of these larger players, they have focused on adding structure, adding controls, like, like giving analytics, but then adding functionality for larger purchases this whole idea of these non-strategic spend seems to be an untapped market. So that's when we went out and we said, you know what, we can create a business case around it. We can help with cost savings because if it's not being competitively bid today, we can, we can do that. We can get the data, we can aggregate it, and we can get insights from it. Originally, it was some basic ML. Now it's more sophisticated, but it actually apply some intelligence on top of it to automate a lot of the processes and make decisions. And then the final one was we understood that we could actually automate a lot of the human function that went into managing this tailspender non-strategic spend space, which to us got very attractive, especially for looking at companies that have 
$10 billion worth of spend in 50,000 transactions, their tail spend is tens of thousands of transactions in $2 billion worth of spend. So we quickly saw that it was a very interesting market to dive into. So back in 2017, we pivoted to saying, let's just do tail spend management. And that's what we've done for the last three years. It's kind of what you alluded to. We are expanding kind of our horizons and our product capabilities in the next couple of months. I mean, it's really interesting to hear that story because it's kind of going from originally what you were pitching as being probably the most strategic category out there, you know, IT and, and software and servers, and then sort of pivoting or, or evolving into into something that, like you say, is often is often for, maybe not forgotten is the bad word, a bad word, but certainly neglected by by central sourcing teams, and that often gets left left to fairly junior staff to manage. And and that is a salesperson's dream, isn't it? If you're a supplier, because if you know that you're negotiating with an inexperienced buyer, or even worse, with a with an HR manager or with a stores person or, or with a maintenance engineer, then then you think it's Christmas. And <laughs> I've been on the end of that as well, going into organizations with badly managed tail spend and and just seeing what opportunities are out there. And, and, and I'd even say it, neglected is probably a great word because it's not that people, if they put a, a huge emphasis on it and they look to aggregate the data across all their different teams and they talk to a bunch of different people in their network then yeah, you could get a best value purchase for your non-strategic spend. You don't have the resources and procurement, so you have to make the judgment call. Where do we spend our people's time? Because in essence, the data is available. There's just no simple way or efficient way to source out or to make the purchase, say of 10 or 15 non-strategic purchases. But then for most of these companies, it's 50,000, it's 10,000, it's 1,000. So it kind of goes beyond human scale pretty quick, unless you want to 10x your procurement team, which is a, is a difficult sell up to the CFO. And, and it's the classic, going back to Economics 101 and Adam Smith's theories, it's the classic law of diminishing returns, isn't it? That you know you can, you can get benefits up to a certain point, but at some point the curve starts to flatten. And if you're throwing procurement resource at, at, at purchases of you know, hundreds or, or low thousands of dollars, then you, know, you have to ask the question, what benefit does that bring other than you know, administrative benefit? No, it, it, absolutely correct. And it's a tough trade-off. Uh, it's kind of why you see teams right now that you, you ask, well, what's strategic, what's non-strategic? There's gray area. Amongst your strategic spend that you pass over to be strategically sourced, does that get 80-20 as well? In terms of does the procurement strategic sourcing team take all those purchases that should be strategically sourced and say, you know, what, I don't have the time to do all this. Maybe I do 80% of it and I push off the tail spend of the strategic. So it, I guess the the point there is, Everyone does it a little differently, but everyone has to make those judgment calls. And what we look to do is as they make those calls, determining where their people's time should be spent, we say, okay, everything that is not within that realm, let's actually bring technology in-house to help you get more value out of that, to help you optimize it and not just pass it through. Especially given the market and everything going on at a macro level, the heightened sense of kind of focus on this non-strategic spend has definitely upticked and that we've seen in our business. So when we define tail spend or non-strategic spend or non-core spend or whatever you want to call it, I mean, there are, there are multiple definitions out there and it very much depends on the organization and to a certain extent, the industry that that organization is is in. You know, I mean, PPE is a very strategic category for the healthcare profession, whereas, you know, if you're a small factory, it's it's probably going to be considered tail spend. So do you tend to look to your client to define what it is that's in scope 
or is there a more, is there a generally well regarded definition of what constitutes tail spend? A uh, super fair question comes up on every call. We, we give direction on where we've seen success and success and the ability to auto source, so to remove humans but still get to a strong business outcome. The the categories are ones that people think right off the bat, which is like the IT, the maintenance, repair, and operations. Uh, facility spend. It could be goods and services. It could be IT services. It's pretty much a, a medical supplies kind of across the board in our world. It's things that can be bid out to multiple vendors. That doesn't mean that, and sometimes people over-rotate to thinking tail spend toilet paper and toothbrush and pencils, or they think tail spend laptops or tail spend all oh, these nuts and bolts where that, that, that could potentially all be tail spend, but there is a lot of tail spend at a lot of our customers that services. And it could be services yeah. engagements to roll out a new office. It could be to do the landscaping. It could be electrical work in, in the building. All this stuff is typically not the dollar size of multi-million dollar purchases. So it kind of unjustly falls within this tail spend or non-strategic spend bucket. But certain areas, even within that, you might want to put additional highlight on because there is potentially risk amongst these purchases, especially if you're not tracking it. Especially if you're talking about services of people coming in your, your building Obviously, there's different different certifications needed than landscaping outside the building. Once again, everyone breaks up differently. We give the guardrails of what we've seen success on, and then they help coach us up on where they want to start. And then we'll help expand over time as we have the data to prove out the value. So just a quick interlude before we move on with the rest of the podcast, just to say that if you are a procurement leader or a finance leader in a manufacturing company and you're struggling to get to grips with your spend or you just maybe need an extra pair of hands to resolve a specific issue and drive some bottom line results, just drop me a connection request on LinkedIn or just ping me an email to info at jamesmeadsconsulting.com com or just follow the link in the show notes to book a free 30-minute initial call with me so as I can learn more about your business and what I can do to help you. So now let's jump right back into the interview. So what would you see as the pros of using a tool such as Fair Market then versus a more traditional tail spend solution? And by that, I, there are three that I have in mind. I mean, the for things like MRO, using a, an integrator or a, or, or a company that can factor tail spend through them or a group purchasing organization or even, you know, outsourcing that spend end to end to a, to a BPO shared service center to, to deal with, I don't know, POs below a certain value or, or, or suppliers that have a certain spend below a certain annual value. There must be a USP of investing in the technology to do what you're doing rather than just looking at a more, well, I wouldn't say less innovative, that's maybe the wrong word, but a less tech-driven solution. I'd say this is our biggest competition. If people are evaluating, do we go with fair market or do we go with, we see like the BPO model a lot. Because what they're essentially making the decision of is, do we want to keep this in-house? We know that we can't allocate the humans to it. So do we want to bring in a technology to automate the process? still under our control. We have very clear KPIs around what's happening, can adjust it on the fly. Or do we just not want to touch it at all? Do we not want to think about it at all? And do we want to push it out to a BPO, uh, work it through a GPO or an integrator? From our perspective, there is definitely a world where hybrid options make a ton of sense. Where for a lot of our customers, it might be for anything under $500, anything under $100. We call it like the tail of the tail. You know, it doesn't make sense to competitively source, even if it's automated pass it through the path of least resistance. Because what these procurement executives care about is what's the experience for the end user? That's number one. 
is it, well, actually, number one, is it de-risked? Number two, is it what's the experience for the end user? And number three, is it what's the best value? Are we optimizing the purchase? So if it's a tail of the tail, if this is a small purchase, we say path of least resistance, whether that's a catalog, passing it through, sending it out to a BPO. If the team really doesn't want to even think about it. Uh, so the team says, we don't even want to have anyone allocated to even looking at this data to see the KPIs around how these purchases are being made. That's a great case for a BPO. Completely take it off your plate. And we see BPO models, especially very successful in different areas of procurement or different areas of the organization. Usually the trade-off of when people onboard fair market is they decide that we can allocate people towards it. We know that there's value to be had from these transactions. We know that if we competitively source it, A, we can drive to a lower price point, leveraging the technology. B, we can collect more data on what's actually happening to make strategic decisions. And C, we have the ability to control the turnaround time. Because it is staying in-house, we can make sure that the time from rec to PO is constantly getting shrunk. So for them, they do like the control of being able to pull those knobs and levers and actually get to those business outcomes that they're looking for. No knock on BPOs because we partner with plenty of them. The, the area that we've typically seen is when you pass it over to a BPO or to another organization, those teams are taking the responsibility, absolutely, but they're doing the same process that your team would have done in-house. So the same process yeah. as a procurement sourcing manager, the same process as a bid desk or a buy desk, they're taking the rec based off probably business controls. They're saying, do we want to try to source this? If we do, do we go to one vendor? Do we go to two vendors? Maybe get one bid back, two bids back, and then make the purchase. To me, that's still the very traditional way to source. And it works for some people. You can't expect to get a drastically different like value output or KPIs if they're doing the same thing your team's doing with less tribal knowledge. So that's kind of the trade-off that people have to weigh out. Again, focusing on stick to what you're good at. They're, they're very, very good at dealing with a high volume of POs and, and, and dealing with that level of vendors and that number of invoices. Whereas in traditional organizations, it's not the sourcing piece that they're not doing well. It's usually the end-to-end, you know, order confirmation, delivery follow-up, expediting, and God forbid, dealing with all of the invoicing issues that tend to come up as well from from having such a large number of tailspin vendors. So yeah, it's uh, it sounds very much like there's kind of a sweet spot that for for very, very low value purchases, you could use a BPO or you could use a punch-out catalog or you could use the solution of, I think, as you said, least resistance to the stakeholder to you know, to, to make sure that they're on board and they have and they have a seamless buying experience. But then you get to a certain point where the value of the, the specific purchase order or supplier spend is is worth having a look at. But often procurement organizations don't have the bandwidth to do that or just the time taken versus the perceived benefit from doing it doesn't add up. And I guess what you're saying is that's where really you come into your own. And that that's our bread and butter. So essentially, we pull in the requisitions in real time. doesn't matter what procure-to-pay system you have. We can flat file or directly API integrate. In real time, our machine learning identifies what is this purchase. It could be a good or a service. We match it up against UNSPSC codes all in real time. And then part of our IP is that we're then going to recommend vendors based off of a customer's internal contracted vendors and fair markets marketplace that not only can potentially supply it, but we actually rank those vendors based off an internal fair market score. So say we, 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 it's a, a, a landscaping service or a, a mulching service or it's an IT networking uh, service. We'll say, okay, here are the 50 vendors that could potentially provide and help you out with this. 30 of them might be in your database already. 20 of them will be in ours. 
will then rank them and say, here's the 15 that have performed the best via fair market and are the most commonly used across our customers. And that's based off a lot of metadata points. That could be speed of response, could be aggressiveness of price, uh, that could be matching their SLAs. Then there's like 12 different factors that go into it. And then what happens is those are automatically bid against each other. The vendors interact with the platform, they submit their bids, and then the output of that whole bid is then, that whole RFQ is then pushed back into the procure-to-pay system. So it can be completely automated. And we're not just going to one or two vendors, we're expanding out the vendor pool. And then all that data we get back from all of our customers on that metadata of how did they actually perform, that goes into the algorithm and gets better over time. So for us, it, it's, it's not like a, a chicken or the egg where we need one to get the other. We have that, mo- and the mo- that momentum going, but it is constantly getting fine-tuned um, as we go from North America to we started to go out to the UK, to Australia, to Singapore, to India, kind of across the board, we consistently get better every region that we get into. So one of the things that must be a, a prerequisite to make this work is is having an accurate description on, on a requisition, because if you put garbage in, you get garbage out. And if you have to match it up with, with the UNSP, is it, what's the word, UNSPC? UNSPSC. Couldn't remember the acronym. It's, it's not. Um, the data classification taxonomy that's that's recognized globally. So if it if if you're not able to match that up, you know, if so if a if a requisitioner goes in and says spare parts for line ABC one two three, then I guess that requisition would have to be pushed back to them until they could give you a description that you could work with. And and I guess the second part of that question is then as you expand and as you grow, so does your vendor base and then so do the the available solutions and benefits to the client. So I guess over time it it can only get better. Absolutely. And you're spot on where if we don't have a description or a part number or manufacturer that can help us identify what is being sourced, then we need to be change management to make sure that we're capturing that data in the correct way. And that could be either coming through a procure to pay. So a rec already in process. So the end user doesn't even know what's happening. They put the rec into the procure to pay. It gets sent to us automatically. We source it, push it back. Or we have customers that their end users log in the fair market and they're the ones creating the RFQs. But you're spot on, James. It's something that we had to get better at over time, and we still have to. Where first, we went from Elasticsearch to Symantec. We then had to do something called TFIDF, which essentially tells us what's the importance, essentially, of the words that are being asked for, because you might call something different than even someone else on your team. So we really had to make sure we looked at it and dissected it from like three or four different ways and always push to get better at recognizing what people are asking for. And, and there's no silver bullet. And anyone that says like, this is a magical solution, it solves all your problems, it's complete fluff. The whole practice of machine learning is getting better at time at these educated guesses. And the more data we have, the more transactions I get through, the more feedback we get from the vendors of whether they're bidding or not, why they're not bidding or how they're bidding, that strengthens the engine and the model. And then you're absolutely correct where the more customers we have, the more we push through the platform, the more intelligent it gets. That's one of the biggest like metrics that I push the data science team on is how are we getting better month over month? Let's look at six different metrics and making sure we're going up and to the right. And that's also being a venture back company as we continue raising money. That's probably one of the most interesting places that we're going to continue to invest in because that intelligence, that is the core differentiator of fair market. It's the ability to integrate so you can automate the process and then the intelligence of the machine learning because it can essentially act as an AI buyer, allowing people to focus on more strategic initiatives and not this non-strategic spend. 
And and that's absolutely right. To be able to prove its worth, it has to offer sensible solutions. And I think everyone's got examples of when you've put something into a machine and it spat out rubbish and, and, it, and it's really all around the learning process. But also, I've probably got a football team worth of founders and procure tech experts now that have come on the show and said that, you know, a, a digital solution on its own can't fix you, can't fix your crappy data. And it's a message that I just keep hearing and hearing. But I love it that everyone says it because it's so true. And even though there's, there's a lot of people out there doing a lot of great work in terms of content around data cleaning and improving your data, it, it's still one of the biggest problems, especially within large organizations that they've not taken care of their data historically. And and that's, you know, the 800 pound gorilla in the room before you implement a, a digital solution is getting your data up to at least an acceptable level that you can get something from your investment. Yeah. And I think that's one part of it. I think the other part of it, when you're looking at like new technology uh, to help out digital transformation, it's very difficult. And I used the word like a silver bullet earlier, because what we try to be is wildly realistic with our customers. And then to track week over week, here's the outputs you're getting. So we usually show about a 10% savings uh, from a cost perspective. We can show the amount of RFQs performed by buyer or just in the platform as an increased time, like, like month over month. And then we can even track the time savings where some customers used to take 40 minutes to source. Now it takes under a minute to source. So we're tracking those KPIs so they can see as our algorithms get better, as we integrate more with their systems, they're seeing the end result of that being the performance from these bids and whether that's the efficiency gains or the the data that's coming out of it. I think we could have gone in a wrong direction as a company early on when we tried to take on too much. We try to take on like almost build that wall to wall right off the bat and say we're applying ML across the board. And then we made the very conscious decision to stay very, very tight on non-strategic spend sourcing and just dedicate all of our data science resources towards that small space. I'm going to say small relative term. I think it's a very big market. But that very targeted area to saying, we're going to use machine learning to identify what things are, to search vendors and to rank vendors. That's it. Those are the three areas. And I think if we had gone too wide too early, we wouldn't have gotten good at that. So I think any vendors that you can find that are just, they're using new technology and applying it to very specific areas. That's usually where you see the most success that that we've seen other companies have the most success, even outside the world of procurement. Yeah, and I and I guess you have to walk before you can run, but that sort of segues interestingly then to a recent announcement announcement that Fair Market made that you know you've expanded from being just a tail a tail spend solution to offering really now from just looking at your website when I was preparing for the interview very much a more comprehensive end-to-end sourcing solution. So what was it specifically that drove you to go down that route? Was it customer feedback or was it just more of a natural evolution of what you were doing? I'd, I'd say both. The The first one that we are, we're always guided by is the customer feedback is by our advisors. And it, it was more by their actions than what they're actually telling us because they started to use Fairmark even over the last year and a half for purchases that you wouldn't think as being non-strategic for multi-million dollar RFQ events, for like complex sourcing events. Now, not the most complex and the most strategic and the ones that take three to six months to complete. That's not what we're talking about. But they weren't using us for not those sub $100,000 purchases. And we noticed that services was a much, much bigger piece of the pie than we originally thought, uh, especially given like different industries. Uh, Services might've been 60 or 70% of their tail spend. We didn't see a ton of competition a, in the non-strategic spend space, especially not for non-strategic services. 
And we, we kind of acknowledge that because our customers were already starting to use us for more strategic purchases, <clears throat> that we didn't want to over-rotate and once again, build something for your five most strategic RFP events over the course of the entire year. That, that is a very laborious, super time-consuming, very, very complex and rigid process. That's, that's not going to be us. For us, it's essentially everything else. We've had our customers just continue to ask us, how come you're putting the limitations? How come we're not expanding this out via change management to other teams or other categories? And the, the core value of fair market, it does apply as you keep going up. The whole idea is intelligent sourcing, which I know intelligent sourcing, it could, could seem a little buzzwordy. Uh, and you have other organizations saying intelligent sourcing. So to boil it down even more, it's how do you leverage data and automation to streamline and optimize the sourcing process? Because that's the core of what we've always done. It's just been targeted at non-strategic. So when you look at the strategic spend, you start to look at adding some more functionality of putting the bids out with a little more structure, uh, some more flexibility for the vendors replying. But when you look at that space, the, the strategic spend space, we haven't seen players really add that intelligence layer to either the strategic sourcers in terms of helping them auto-populate which templates would potentially be the right fit for different goods or services. We haven't seen many organizations, which has been a big focus of ours. How do you make the process better and easier for vendors? There's a couple of really cool companies that are solely focused on the vendors, helping them submit bids in a more efficient manner to structure it just so they're not redoing it every single time. But we haven't really seen a sourcing solution that really brings together both sides of the marketplace and says, okay, we want to make sure it's a great outcome for both, a good experience for both, and that it's as simple as possible for both sides, the buyers and the suppliers. And that's from day one, that's been our core focus. Let's take out the red tape. Let's take out like the unnecessary processes and just streamline to get right to the nuts and bolts of it. And that's what we're doing in the strategic spend space as well. And it's great that you've been able to expand that just from listening to what customers are saying and, and being able to, to adapt and expand rather than completely reinvent the wheel. I think it just it is really a natural evolution. And it's interesting to hear what you're saying about services as well, because, you know, I would have thought as someone that's bought a lot of services in the past, that it's highly dependent upon how good your scope of work or description of work is around what level of success you're going to get from the marketplace. But I can certainly see in terms of ability to scout and find the appropriate vendors and get bids in easily without having to do a lot of pre-work, I can see a huge advantage there for services. I mean, in terms of what you what the feedback is that you get from the from customers that work with Fair Market, are they using the productivity gains to redeploy their procurement FTEs onto more strategic procurement activity? Or, or are they seeing it mainly as, a, as, as something that they can use to, to reduce headcount or to deal with, you know, to deal with budgets that, or hiring freezes that, that are a sign of the times? It's across the board. And I think depending on the customer you're talking to and even the person within the customer, they have different goals and KPIs that they really look to us for. The first one you mentioned is the core of fair market. It's how do we deliver those operational savings so you can allocate your people to the most strategic initiatives. That's the bread and butter. That's what we saw as the big challenge within procurement as a whole is that you have a lot of people doing a lot of redundant manual tasks. I won't call it pushing paper because a lot of people do much more strategic things than that, but at its core, it's kind of that. So it's how do we get people to focus on things that are hard, focus on things that they can add their skill sets towards. And that could be on vendor management. That could be on setting up more strategic contracts. It could be finding those 
sole source vendors or creating stronger relationships with them to make sure that they're better partnering with the business. It could be working more with end users to help out almost with the internal NPS score. The, the other buckets though, is some people are very high on cost savings. I think it depends on the industry, but especially right now, cost savings has a heightened focus. We're not just showing cost savings, but we're showing it in a light that they can actually reconcile against and report back to their business. So it might be that's identified. It might be true cost savings. It might be cost avoidance. Figuring out what our stakeholders need to prove the value and to kind of build themselves up internally and then creating the BI, uh, so the business intelligence reports to show them that. Uh, But some other interesting ones that aren't really at the surface level is we are seeing, especially in the, the United States, more vendors that are putting a bigger focus on diverse vendors. Because at a large organization, if you have tens of thousands of people that are buying things, it's almost impossible to educate them all on who are the best or who are the right diverse vendors, disadvantaged businesses to invite to different bids. And it's almost an unfair ask of procurement because that's not their job. So the ability to automatically align and assign diverse vendors to requisitions without an end user having to even think. And then not only can you show the inclusion, but the actual awarding to diverse vendors and be able to track that. That's been an interesting one. And then the final one that's been a very big one, especially given COVID, is just the risk of the supply base. We have a lot of companies that they were single threaded or they had a primary and secondary vendor for a lot of their, their core, whether it's raw materials, the core items or services that their business relies on. So the ability to automatically intelligently source those out to a wider audience, even to have that market data of who else could we potentially rely on to make sure that programming is best supporting the business. Those are interesting use cases for like a continuity perspective that people don't always, I think, think of right off the bat. All of those examples that you've given, and I, I didn't set it up that way, but it does fit really nicely into your new slogan, which is source smarter, not harder. I always use the mantra work smarter, not harder with what I do as well. And, and I think all of that really, really speaks to what you're trying to do there, because yeah, all of those examples are very much cases of being able to do that, of how a process that would have traditionally been a lot of spade work can now be automated or at least semi-automated and drastically reduce the amount of time that's taken to do that activity. The first use case we ever had at Fair Market was we started working with a team that had 15 buyers that focused on spend under 50K because of the amount of transactions there. And yeah. then they had about four buyers spend over 50K. And it, the over 50K was like 3.5 billion. And the under 50K was like, like 30 or 40 million. So that just <laughs> blew our mind on the disproportion of where people's time were being spent based off the amount of spend. And it's because people just had to do everything very manual. So it took a ton of time. So the, the core to start was if we can just automate this process and just reallocate their time, that's a massive win right there. And obviously it's expanded out to how we can be more intelligent with how we do it. But th- that's why we started. It's because we didn't see any players that were making that easy, that were automating it. So we recognize that it's a meaningful space. It's a big opportunity. And if we stayed hyper-focused, then we could execute against it. So final question, Kevin, just before we sign off, if anyone would, li- would like to find out more about you or more about Fair Market, uh, what's the best way that they can get in touch? Uh, fairmarket.com. It has all of our case studies, all of our announcements. You'll probably see it lit up if you go today, but now I think about this podcast again recorded, so it'll be a couple of days in the past. We have all the Gartner cool vendor banners up or just email me directly. It's kevin at fairmarket.com. My whole job at Fairmarket is to talk to the market, to listen to customers, to 
motivate the team, obviously, make sure that we're bringing in the right people. We're keeping everyone on the same common goal. But the biggest thing, the thing I enjoy doing the most is hearing kind of what the challenges are that people have today, how they're using the technology and saying, okay, how can we expand that out to address those challenges? And then taking that back with our technical team, our data science team and saying, okay, this is what's happening in the real world. This is what we're doing today. How can we apply technology to get to a better outcome? And then it's just a brainstorm session. So that's what I'm passionate about. So if anyone ha- wants to have an open conversation, I love meeting people at conferences. That doesn't happen anymore. So we're doing virtual events. <laughs> but feel free just to, uh, to shoot me an email directly. I'd love to chat. That would be an awesome YouTube live, actually. I'm thinking about expanding what I'm doing to do a bit more on YouTube, specifically for thought leaders that maybe don't fit into the whole tech space. But that would be a really good one to do. I might well tap you up at some point to see if I can get you on because that would be a great conversation. Kevin, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you and learning more about what you're doing there. Keep up the good work because I think you're saving a lot of buyers from having gray hair or pulling their hair out. So all the best. Keep in touch. and Thanks, James. I'll talk to you later. Cheers. So that is a fantastic lesson in listening to what the market is saying and adapting and pivoting what you're offering as a solution to reflect that. Tailspend is something that I've worked a lot with in the past, and I understand a lot of the frustrations there too. So if this episode was a little bit longer than usual, then that's why, because it's a subject that I'm really, really passionate about and also have quite a bit of background knowledge on. So thanks for bearing with us. And I really, really hope that you got some value from this episode take care stay safe and bye for now thanks again for listening to this episode of the ProcureTech podcast if you like the show then please subscribe or even better why not write us a quick review on apple podcasts it would not only really make my day but it would also help our mission to enable procurement and finance leaders to become more data-driven through the power of digital transformation.